I'm talking about demons. There's no such thing. I put the title on the board behind me, and I've, Chris was saying, I've heard your old demon series. I constantly learn on these subjects. I've learned some things on demons I've never seen before in the last few weeks. It's everything that's evil, and there's no such beings as demons. Because if you believe in demons, you've got to believe in genies. You have to believe in fairies. Fairies and genies and demons are the same thing in different cultures. Here's the title, Documentation that Demons, Genies, Fairies, Guardian Angels, Genius, and Totems are all the same thing in the ancient world. Then I put this. This is something I've really seen. Fairyland is worshiping the easy Jesus, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, part three. That's exactly what fairyland is. I've got a book over here on fairies. I ought to go ahead and read that to you. It's on fairies. This is written by sociologist that's what these books are they're not they're, this is a book on fairy tales their origin and meaning it's an excellent book it's written by these men have studied soci, sociology sociology i took a sociology course in college sociology we get our word society from that society and sociology, we get sociology from society. This is men that have have studied society and their sayings and their attitudes all through the decades or all through the, we could say, uh, millennia. They've studied these things. Let me read something to you about that, that, the, that the Jesus, this easy Jesus that Paul talks about, in Second Corinthians 11 and 4, is about a fairyland. That's what it is. When you think of fairyland, what do you think of? You think of nice, fun, happiness, no hard times, no tribulation. It's what the preachers are preaching. Let me read this to you. This is fairyland. This is out of fairy tales. All the fairy tales whether it's Cinderella, whether it's Rumpelstiltskin, whether it's Jack the Giant Killer, Jack and the Beanstalk, that's all demon tales or fairy tales. Cinderella, it tells you all about what it's about. Now this is fairyland, the dear sweet land of once upon a time, where there is constant light, summer days, and everlasting flowers. They never die. And pleasant fields and streams. And long dreams without rough waking. And you just had such a good sleep. And ease of life. That's a fairy tale. Ease of life. I underlined that and highlighted it in orange when everything else is highlighted in yellow. You can see that. See what I did? Ease. That's where that orange says ease of life. The reason I did that, I'll tell you why in a minute. And all things strange and beautiful, 
where nobody wonders at anything that may happen, where good fairies are ever on the watch to help those whom they love, whom they like, where youth abides and there is no pain or death, and all trouble fades away. That's fairyland. And whatever seems hard is made easy. And all things that look wrong come right in the end. Roy Rogers ends up winning in the end. Or the good guy always wins. He never loses. And truth and goodness have their perpetual triumph. And the world is ever young. That's the easy Jesus and the good gospel. There is no tribulation. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. If there's no tribulation, there is no narrow way. There, we must, through much tribulation, enter. There is no persecution. Yea, and all that will have gotten in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Dioko, D-I-O-K-O. It means to flee. Just like Paul was fleeing every day for his life. They were running him out of town. They stoned him and left for dead outside of Lister. There's no stoning and leaving for dead in fairyland. You understand that? This is a fairyland that we live in in America. Let's all be good. Now, I know the Bible says there's none good and all men are liars. But let's all be good to each other and pretend there was a radio show in the in the early 50s when I was a kid. came on Saturday morning. Let's pretend. And it was all about fairy stuff, you know. That's the Jesus these preachers are preaching. It's a fairyland Jesus, isn't it? A nice Jesus. Let me read a verse out of the Bible to you. Moab has been at ease from his youth. Moab was southern Jordan, which what we call it. Out of Moab came the worship of Shemosh, and that was a demon god. It was a sun god. Shemosh. If this is Israel, then over here is, is Moab and Ammon. And out of Moab that polluted Israel came the sun god Shemosh. And when you go after an easy life, there's nothing easy about the gospel. Moab hath been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his lees. What in the world are lees? And how do they affect anything? Lees are the dregs on the bottom of a bottle of goat skin. You know what a goat skin bottle is? They made their bottles out of goat skins. And in order... They got a strap here. In order for to purify the grape juice, they had to empty from one bottle to another to get rid of the leaves. The leaves were the dregs on the bottom of the bottle. And if they didn't do that, that was their way of purifying the grape juice. And if they didn't do that, the the wine would sour the and it would turn rancid. And it was good for nothing. Let me read the rest of that. And hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Boab hasn't been emptied vessel to vessel. 
neither hath gone into captivity. Therefore his taste is remained in him, and his scent is not changed. That's Jeremiah, the 48th chapter, verse 11. That's good to know. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this, this easy Jesus. There's a verse that's one of my... I got a sister-in-law. She's just a dumber than a rock. She got on TBN. She's a Pentecostal tongue speaking, faith healing, uh, assembly of God. And my brother married her, and so he became one with them. But he don't believe nothing. She got on there one night and said, "Getting saved is easy. It's easy. No, it's not. You're ignorant if you think that. Look over here in Second Peter." Second Peter. Now this is this is excuse me, first Peter, excuse me. First Peter four. It's talking about how we have to suffer when we are Christians and believers. This is not fairyland. In verse well let me start here. In verse 12. 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange. Believers. Believe it not strange. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. That word trial. The fiery trial. Which is to try you. The word try is the word parosmos. P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. Parosmos means to come from Pira, P-E-I-R-A, means to pierce you. You'll be pierced when you go through the fiery trial by the thing that means to pierce is false teachers. Scorpions are false teachers. You find Scorpions all through the New Testament. S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S. I've said this a thousand times. If I've said it once, you got a noun and you got a verb form. Always look for the verb form. When you're looking at something in your concordance, look at the words before or after because words are together. If you look at cosmos, that's the word world in John 3.16, means orderly arrangement. Look at cosmios. Cosmios. I look at words. It'll have all these words around it that are part of it. Or look up the word. When you look up cosmios and you go into Webster's Dictionary and you look up cosmetic and it means to decorate or adorn and a woman fixes her face and adorns her face with her powder and what have you, you know. And that's what it actually means. You look at words before it and after it. So a lot of times, the verb form will be right after it or right before it. Always think of that when you're looking at words. When it says, akin to so-and-so, number 2536, look that word up too. You do a chain reference looking up words. And then, of course, the verb form of scorpion is scorpios. Excuse me, scorpizo, S-K-O-R-P-I-Z-O. That's the word scatter 
scatter. And anytime you find the word scatter, scatter abroad. And that's what Babylon did, came in and scattered Israel all over the face of the earth. And Scorpius means to pierce. And when they pierce you, they sting you, and they make you numb. Some of them are make you so numb, you, it, they kill you. They're deadly. Some in the Middle East are very deadly. And, uh, and you become numb. That's what the Bible says false teachers do. False teachers, they teach winds of doctrine. Winds, this is in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. They, pre- they preach winds of doctrines that they're trying to deceive people with, winds of doctrines, and they make you numb when they sting you. Well, that's what the Bible says. It goes on to say that when these false teachers teach, they make you past feeling. The word is apogeo, A-P-A-L-G-E-O. It means to be apathetic. You don't feel anything, but it's in your mind. You feel nothing. You have a spiritual numbness. You don't feel anything if you listen to false teaching so long. And that's what that's what the word scatter. The hireling cares not for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in. Wolves are false teachers. And he allows the wolf to scatter the flock. Wolves are false teachers. So false teachers are what pierce us and they make us numb. Apolgeo. Now, I want to read the rest of this to you. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you. Parosmos means to pierce. As though some strange thing happened unto you. When you think that Christianity is a fairyland, the fire trial is not strange. It's a daily requirement. Strange is the word Knizo, X-E-N-I-Z-O. And it's a form of X-E-N-O-S, which means a stranger or an occasional guest. The fiery trial is not a stranger to us. And it's not easy. That just galls me to hear somebody say, Christianity is easy. Just walk down the aisle and accept Christ and pray the sinner's prayer and you're home free. No, you're not. Your trial is just beginning to start. You're supposed to have a hard time. All Christians are supposed to be miserable at times. Did you know that? Tracy told me the other night, she said, one of the most comforting things you ever said to me was when you told me years ago that when I felt sad and discouraged, I was supposed to be that way. And you are. If Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in that 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and we're predestined to be like him, we're predestined to be conformed to his likeness, his icon, to represent him, or to be like him, if we're like him, we will be sorrowful and acquainted with grief when we go through all these trials. This is not fairyland. 
like these preachers are preaching. If you just walk the aisle and accept Christ and come to our Bible studies where we preach free will and we have Christmas parties and we have pizza parties and we just have a fun time together and isn't this a fairyland thing we do? That is just, it galls me to hear preachers preach that. Isn't that what they preach? It's not fairy tale time. It's disgusting to me. Let me read the rest of this. Rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. When Paul said in Philippians, the third chapter, he said, Oh, but that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Fellowship is the word koinonia. It's basically the same thing when we're predestined to be conformed, sumorphos. To be conformed is the word sumorphos. It comes from sum, which is a prefix on a word that instead of putting koinonia, you just put sum. It means to be blended together in fellowship. It's not quite like meta. Meta means to accompany. It can be meta, but meta can always be soon. Soon means to be blended together. Morphe means to be shaped as we're blended together in fellowship with other people that are suffering for Christ's sake. There's nothing like fellowship. That's why I have people call me from all over the country say, I don't know what to do. I'm over here in California and I don't have any fellowship. I say, all I know to tell you is either move here, and if you can't do that, if you can't do that, just join us on Wednesday at at uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock. We'll be, be fellowshipping, uh, live streaming. You can join us Wednesday and Saturday at the same time. I don't know what to tell people. The fellowship, there's nothing like fellowship with people that believe the truth. This is our brothers and sisters that do the will of the Father. Let's go back to this chapter. Rejoice as much as you are your partakers or fellowshipping with Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, see, Fairyland is not reproach. When they say there's no suffering, everything is daylight, and it's birds and the bees are flying and buzzing, and and we're just all and there's some little chorus in the background, and they're singing hallelujah in the background, and it's just a wonderful time in Jesus, isn't it? Don't you just love Jesus with all your heart? It's just dumb. Somebody does that to me, I want to slap them. Reproach. Aniedzo, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O, means to be infamous. Infamy is not happy, happy, smiley face, fun Jesus. That's not it. That's the other Jesus. And the other Jesus is, it is a deception. The whole world has been led astray. Preachers don't tell people you're supposed to be miserable. This is the most wonderful, miserable doctrine you can have. Makes you miserable in the flesh, but it's wonderful when you know it's the truth. 
Now, let's keep on reading. So, when you are made infamous for the name of Christ, if you're a famous personality and you're out there and you've got hit records and you're a big superstar in music, country music, pop music, uh, you've got a great... Uh, you got a great sports career and you can throw the ball better than anybody else or you can hit it further and, and you get a lot of attention, a lot of glory. Uh, I love the verse over there in First Corinthians uh, 4 and 7. Who makes thee to differ from another? Who made you different where you have the ability to do something? Jim Brown, who made you different that it put it in your mind to study your brains out? so that you would learn these things. I can't take credit for that. That's something God put in me to do. Who made you different enough to get involved in a sport that you can excel in, like Rusty was a world champion, karate guy? Well, he didn't do that himself. If he had the drive to do that, that has to be put inside you to do it. Who made you smart enough to get on computers and to be able to teach yourself to do all these things. Who makes thee to differ from another? And what dost thou have that thou didst not receive? The idea is, what do you have that you didn't get from God? And why dost thou glory as though thou had not received it from God? That's one of my favorite verses. How can you take credit if you're Tom Brady for winning Seven Super Bowls. God might kill you for that. Then how much glory do you have? How can you glory when you've got all the money that these superstars have because they got a great talent? And some of them are... I was noticing the other night on a special that when uh, Freddie... What's his name? Mercury died. That that young guy that won the won the uh, America's Got Talent or whatever it is and he has this real high voice and they said he's a great voice and he might take Freddie's place and he's a homosexual he can have a great greatest voice in the world but he can go to hell if he don't repent this is not fairyland we're in this is you're in for the duration it's going to be the time of your life Let's keep reading. Happy are ye. That's the same word. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you're made infamous. Makurios is the word happy. M-A-K-U-R-I-O-S. It means fortunate. You're just fortunate that God chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and without blame, holy hagios means to be purified. And that happens when God makes a new person in each one of us. By the way, that word happy is the same exact word as blessed or the poor in spirit. It's the same word blessed in the Beatitudes. Same exact word. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to be meek. Meek doesn't mean to be a pansy. It doesn't mean be not made and kind of pigeon-toed like walk around going, I'm just meek and I'm just, uh, I can't help it. I'm just a Christian. That don't mean that. The word is pros. P, 
R-A-U-S. It means tame. What does that mean? Well, you're kind of jumping and up and down and happy and you found Jesus and you're really going after it for a year or maybe a year and a half and then you start winding down until you grow up and mature as a believer and that takes years. You find out what true happiness is when you learn to allow people to persecute you and do like Jesus did as a lamb as a lamb to slaughter, as a sheep before his ears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. When the Pharisees, why don't you talk to us? He just looked at them. They had their mind set on crucify him, and, and he, it's not going to do any good to even say anything to him. Pilate said the same thing to him. He said, why don't you talk to me? They'd condemned him. They're going to put him to death. Talk for what? It's done. And Jesus said, I'll say this one thing to you. You have no power. Pilate said, don't you know? Pilate said, don't you know? I've got the power to release you. And the people say, crucify him. If you don't kill him, we're going to report you to Caesar. He'll send you to Alaska. Pilate. Boy, just Pilate said, I guess I have to kill him to keep the people pacified. Now let's get back to this. Happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and God resteth upon you. And on their part, Christ is evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified when you're suffering. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody. That word busybody means someone that's running around taking care of everybody's business rather than their own. And in other men's matters, <laughs> stay out of other people's matters. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Boy, this sounds tough, doesn't it? Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it began at us, what's the house of God? No, you're not. Your body is the house of God. That's what Hebrews 3 and 4 says. We're the house of God. And, and what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Well, what's the gospel? Well, it's the narrow way for one thing. It's the blood baptism for another thing. And Luke 4, Luke 3 and 4, 3, 3, 3 and 4, John came preaching the baptism of repentance. Cannot be water because of what it says. The baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance. Well, I love the fact that of repentance is in there because of repentance is of repentance is one word in the Greek and it is genitive case and it means that repentance owns baptism baptism belongs to repentance it can't be water 
for that fact. Baptize comes from baptizo and babto. And babto. Baptizo means to cover. And in your concordance, it will say baptizo C, and it'll give you a number that takes you to babto. And it will say under babto, in your strong, exhaustive concordance, it'll say to stain with a dye. You know, that really puzzled me years ago when I first saw that in a concordance. I thought, whoa, what? It means to stain with a dye. That's fantastic. i got to tell you the story again. We had a lady come in here, Marcella, and uh, she was going to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the large Southern Baptist seminaries in America. And then Southwestern is another seminary in Fort Worth. These are the two largest, probably, Southern Baptist seminaries in the world. And uh, she said that they announced that there was going to be the president of Dallas Theological Seminary coming to that seminary to give a talk and they had the auditorium full of people. said he got up there, the president of Dallas Theological, which is probably the most prestigious Baptist postgraduate seminary in America. Postgraduate means that's where you go after you graduate from Southwestern or Southern Seminary. That's where you go to get your doctor's degree. And probably some of the most brilliant people in America have, have gone there. And she said that he got up and said, Baptized does not mean to dip in water or to sprinkle water. This president of Dallas Theological said, it means to cover something with a stain or a dye. And a blood baptism was a martyrdom or a death. Now, whether people like that or not, this brilliant mind got up there and said that. And Marcella said, I left the auditorium. He said, I never heard anybody say that. But you, Jim, never heard anybody say it. I haven't either. She said, I was walking across the campus. And she said, he was walking right towards me. And I said, Dr. So-and-so, can I ask you a question? He said, yes. She said, if that's true about baptism, why are all these Baptists dipping people in water all over the world? He looked at her and he said, she said, he said one word. He said, tradition. That's it. Just tradition. It don't mean that. And the fact that you've got of repentance, genitive case means it is possessive it's possessive of baptism and a blood baptism was a death and that's what so what is what is it what does the bible say here if any man suffer as a christian let him not be ashamed the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of god if it begin at us The gospel is God's judgment. The gospel is the narrow way. The Bible says so. 
John came preaching the baptism of repentance as it was written in the book of Isaiah. It says Esaias, but that's the way they would write Isaiah in the Greek translated over. As it's written in the book of Isaiah, it's talking about Isaiah 40. Isaiah the 40th chapter. And then the Bible says in Mark, the first chapter, the first verse, the beginning of the gospel. of the gospel as it is written in the prophets written in prophets and it says the same thing about the baptism of repentance as it was written in Isaiah as the beginning of the gospel as it's written in the prophets it says here's the beginning of the gospel and here is the Baptism of repentance. The same thing. Here's the beginning. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Way. Make his path straight. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that's the baptism. If the gospel equals the baptism... And the way is hodos. That's the narrow way. And that is the gospel that we have to preach to people. And if we tell people you have to die, a blood baptism was a death, a martyrdom. And narrow is the word, the, the narrow way. There's two ways, a narrow way. And every time you find way, always look at it because it's talking about hodos. Hodos, narrow is the way, narrow is the word thalibo. And it comes from the word thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. One is the verb, the other is the noun. And thalipsis is the word tribulation. So tribulation is not a fairyland gospel. Tribulation equals the way. It is, it is the gospel. It is the baptism. So that's what you have to go through whenever you find the baptism. You have to be dying daily. Don't think it's bad that you feel bad. You're supposed to. You know, the only time we really feel good is around other people. That's why we need to fellowship as much as we can with believers. Now, let's read the rest of this. My sister-in-law, I don't think she's ever read this chapter. She doesn't know what it meant if she did. And then he says in verse 18, well, let me read the rest of that. If it first begin in us, we're the house of God. When it says that judgment must begin at God's house, in Hebrews it says that we're the house of God. What shall the end of them that obey not the gospel? Or they obey not blood baptism? Or they obey not the narrow way, which is the gospel? It all equals to each other, doesn't it? And then he says these wonderful words that I love this whole chapter for. If the righteous scarcely be saved, it's not easy, scarcely. 
mogus. It's a form of molus, means with great difficulty. It's not easy. It's not that fairy tale Jesus. It's not it. I, do you realize how few people are probably saved in America and how deceived most of them are that go to these churches? They're just deceived. They're not going. If you're not miserable sometimes, what you know what the misery is? It's that outer man wanting to stay away from the inner man. It's the inner man and the outer man. It always goes back to that. Paul said, I've got two men in me. I've got the outer man that wants to serve the law of the flesh, and the inner man is Christ in me, and he doesn't want this outer man to keep on serving himself. That's why so many people say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, the only reason that people say that is because they got an inner man that looks at their self on the outside and say, I don't think he'll save that outer man, and he won't. He'll give you a new body one day. But he won't be made of flesh. This flesh is a curse on all of us. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. You'll be suffering tribulation and trial, being reproached. People making fun of you, laughing at you. And it'll make you feel bad. You're supposed to. I was talking to somebody yesterday. and I said, just because somebody dies, it don't mean you're not supposed to feel bad. But it's still the will of God. Because he's got everybody's time set when they're going to die. He's got their suffering set when they're going to be in a hospital or a, a sickness bed. Now, let me get back to this demon thing. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get through this. I'm trying to show you the difference between the real Jesus and the other Jesus, which is a fairy tale Jesus. It's a fairyland. I'll read some more out of that book. They've even got in here, they've got about Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, Jack the Giant Killer. they got the stories and what they mean. It's all sun and tree worship is what it's about. All of it. They invented it and it has it's told in different stories in different ancient cultures. Now, let me read something here I've got. I want you to understand what this is all about. Let me erase this so I can put some of this on the board. Y'all got that title there, don't you? Fairyland. They were talking about fairies and demons are the same thing. I've got to tell you a story about when I was young. Boy, there's a story in when I was about 25 years old, I went to see a movie. I was, I looked it up last night to see what year it came out. I looked up on the internet, and it came out in May of 1964. Just a few days later, I turned 25, and I don't remember where I saw it, but it was a movie called The Brass Bottle and it was starring uh, Burl Ives and he was a genie in this movie and they said some things in this movie that shocked me I went whoa 
because I had somehow defined, I knew that Solomon had something to do with genies and with demons. And I had heard the stories. Let me erase this. I'd heard the stories that Solomon was master of the demons. And he was master of the genies. And Burl Ives was an old folk singer. You remember him? Great big fellow. And he sang, he sang a song that was actually hit record during those uh, folk music days when Peter, Paul, and Mary was out and it was called A Little Bitty Tear Let Me Down. Remember that? A Little Bitty Tear Let Me Down. Something about act as a clown. I had myself made up to be a clown, but a little bitty tear may have let me down. You remember that? That was Burl Ives. And he was an actor. In fact, he was called Big Daddy in that old movie, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And he, him and Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor and that. But Burl Ives was a genie in this movie. And somehow this star of the movie, who was the hero, that was Tony Randall, got a hold of this brass bottle, and the genie come out. And this is a comedy. And uh, Barbara Eden played in the movie, but she wasn't the genie. The genie, I Dream of Genie, was a spinoff of this movie, and she became the genie in the TV series. And Burl Ives, as the genie, kept talking about Solomon and the Blue Gin. I went, whoa. And I have remembered that. And he pronounced it S-O-R-S-U-L-E-I-M-O-N, I believe it is, M-A-N. Solomon and the Blue Gin. Later on, I got to study in gin. And that's plural for genies. Genie. We say G-E-N-I-E. And genies, we get the word genie from the word gene. Your genes is your ancestry. That's your makeup. Makeup. And everything in gene, among the genies... You had good genies and bad genies. Your whole idea, you had good demons and bad demons, good good fairies and bad fairies. Good, They're good on both sides of the fence. That's called dualism. Anytime you think of, you read something about dualism, dualism is good versus bad. You see that in cartoons when you've got a little angel on this shoulder and he's got a, a halo on his head, and they don't know that that's evil. But he's got a halo on his head, and he's whispering something good into Bugs Bunny's ear on this side. And you got a little demon with horns and a tail. He don't, they don't know that's Nimrod whispering bad things. That's a picture of dualism in the ancient world. And they had good demons and bad demons. If you got a good job, it was a good demon that got it for you. I'm going to read you some things that are off the internet that's really, really interesting. Uh, let me see. Where, where do I start with this? 
that let me see I suspect that M.R. James who by all accounts was a devout Christian felt a little of what I feel this is from the preface to the text Old Testament legends it's about legends of the Jews and there's a book I meant to even look it up in there and I haven't I've got a series on legends of the Jews by uh, what's his name Ginsburg, Ginsburg, being stories out of some of the less-known apocryphal books of the Old Testament. Uh, what sort of tales are they that are told in this book? The story that I retell below of King Solomon and the demon Euphippus, E-P-H-I-P-P-A-S, and they had names for them, is originally from the Testament of Solomon. The, thought, the fact that they said Solomon was the master of the of the demons and master of the genies goes back to Solomon building the temple. They said the demons helped Solomon build the temple. There were some people that helped Solomon build the temple. Does anybody remember who it was? It was, here's Israel... Here is southern Judah. Jerusalem is in southern Judah. And right above that is Tyre. At the time Solomon was building the temple, the king of Tyre was a man named Hiram. And Tyre was the home of Baal and the grove. And that would have been called demons or genies. And Hiram supplied Solomon with with cedars of Lebanon. Cedars will not rot. And God wanted a temple that was firm. So you have Solomon employing a relationship with Hiram, the king of Tyre. Now that's amazing. That's in First Kings, the fifth chapter. That's where Solomon starts getting Hiram, the prince of Tyre, and Hiram must surely have still had at that point Baal in the grove, because Tyre and Sidon was a spinoff of Babylon down here on the Euphrates River. It was a spinoff of, it kept, there's two places that are mentioned in the Bible where two of our men are equated with Satan. One is in Isaiah 14. That's where Belshazzar is called Lucifer. That's the only place you find Lucifer in the Bible. Lucifer, Hylial, H-E-Y-L-I-L, I believe it is, means shining one. And that's not about Satan. It is only in one sense that Satan was inhabiting Babylon, Belshazzar. The only other place you find 
it was Belshazzar that was speaking of when he said, I will send above the heights of the stars. I will be like the most high. God says, I'll bring you down to the ground. It was Belshazzar in Isaiah 14. And it was the prince of Tyre. In Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. And he's talking about the prince of Tyre. Hiram was the prince of Tyre at the time Solomon was building the temple. I believe that has something to do with the convolution of saying the, the demons or the genies were helping Solomon build the temple. What's amazing... Solomon got off base because this is in 1 Kings, the fifth chapter. He finishes building the temple in 1 Kings, the ninth chapter. And then in 1 Kings, the eleventh chapter, Ahab is king of northern Israel and Ahab marries Jezebel whose father at that at this time is Ethbaal is Ethbaal means with Baal well he would have the same office as Hiram would have over here was there some influence to make Ahab marry Jezebel and she brought her demons or her genies down into Israel, and Ahab built temples for Baal in the grove, and they were genies or demons by any other title. You see what I'm saying here? They have invented all of these tales. I think I needed to kind of give you that first so you can understand this. So when Ahab, excuse me, I've got that in the wrong place. I got that in the wrong place. Solomon. I've been thinking about this all week. It's just like like Chris said, you've taught on this before. I haven't taught this before. Not what I'm teaching today. I begin to see this. In 1 Kings 11, Solomon marries... 750... Oh, excuse me, not 750. 700 strange wives. 700 strange women. It don't mean they're weird. It meant foreign women. If they're foreign, and one of those women was Pharaoh's daughter. So he had to be bringing in Isis and Osiris and all those other gods, Amun-Ra, just a list of them went on and on. What gave him the idea to do that? You think maybe when he was being friendly with Hiram and Hiram liked Solomon and the Bible says he even loved David, Solomon's father. Maybe that's the demons that the fairy tales got a hold of him talking about. And then... In 1 Kings 11, Solomon marries all these women. And that's the reason God splits the kingdom into 
northern Israel and southern Judah. Because Solomon did this. 700 strange wives and 300 concubines, which are secondary wives, and he can have babies by all of them. He can have sexual intimacy with all of them. You think maybe, maybe Hiram had something to do with his feeling that way? And then, why do you think Ahab, now this is in 1 Kings 11th chapter, this is in 1 Kings the 5th chapter, and then, then you have 1 Kings the 16th chapter. And that's where Je- Ahab is the king of northern Israel. Ahab. And God has split the kingdom because of what Solomon did here. So the king of northern Israel at this time, northern Israel is just up here on the border of Tyre and Sidon. And that's what we call Lebanon. Lebanon. And Lebanon comes from Lebanon. And that's one of the words moon. They were the moon worshippers over in the pagan countries. And the moon was the crescent moon. And you find that on the flags of the Turks. You find that also on the on the fezes of the Shriners. That's the crescent moon, and that's paganism. So you think maybe Ahab looked at what Solomon did, and Solomon was listening. You know what he probably did? He was just like Jehoshaphat. When Jehoshaphat, king of southern Judah, and when... when uh, Ahab, king of northern Israel, wanted to go fight Ben-Hadad of Syria. And Ahab is evil. And Jehoshaphat is righteous, a good man. And he, and Ahab goes down to here to Jehoshaphat and says, You're a Jew and I'm a Jew and you're king of southern Judah. That was the promised lineage down there. That was the lineage of David. And northern Israel was 12 tribes that... Whoever could conjure up an army, they could if they could fight and win, you could be the king of northern Israel. You had to be of Judah to be the true king. That's these guys here. Here's the true lineage. Solomon, Rehoboam down here. Except for that witch there, Athali. She was the daughter of of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And out of this is northern Israel, and there's no particular blender lineage to that that was ruled by Ephraim of northern Israel then let me see here then you get over to 1st Kings 16 Ahab marries Jezebel and Ahab builds temples in the 16th chapter temples for Baal and the grove which are demons by any definition, which are fairies, which are totems, fell in the grove. And that really splits. That makes God extremely angry. And then God decides to kill Ahab when you get in the 22nd chapter. He kills him in battle. Then we get into Second Kings. He has a man named Jehu kill Jezebel. I mean, yeah, kill 
Jezebel, Ahab's wife. And then the same guy, Jehu, ends up killing Athaliah. Another story. Let me read some of this about demons, Solomon and the demons. Perhaps I've now said enough to show what sort of tales are that are told in this book. Some of them told for the first time in English. They're saying that these tales, these fairy tales, were around a long time before we had English. They are not true, but they are very old. Some of them, I think, are beautiful, and all of them seem to me interesting. The story that I retell below, King Solomon and the Demon Ephippus, is originally from the Testament of Solomon. That's probably, I believe that's in one of my Apocrypha books. I've got Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. You cannot trust those as... I'm going to check out my Pseudepigrapha if we've got that in... got something about the demons and Solomon and that. The text which describes the first person, how King Solomon gained power over the demons and forced them to build the temple in Jerusalem. That could be a convolution of Hiram bringing all that wood down here it's just a convolution except he didn't force him to Hiram volunteered and he was real friendly with Solomon in fact look at that real quick like look at first first Kings 5 and you can kind of you got to read the Bible slow and pay attention to what it's saying as you read along and if you can see these First Corinthians, First Kings five, is about Hiram joining up with, uh, and it, you know that Hiram puzzled me for years why Solomon would do that. As I was reading this, I couldn't figure out why would Solomon go in with with sun and tree worshippers. They weren't perfect; those kings weren't. Why would he marry all those women? You think he might have looked at his father David when he had all those wives that he had and he had David had a whole bunch of wives over there in 2nd Samuel I believe it is it names his wives names who they were and who their sons were you remember that he had his firstborn was uh, Ammon his secondborn was uh uh was he? No, it wasn't. No, hold on a second. I got a list of them right here. Yeah, you think maybe Solomon looked at this in Second Samuel three, and there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker, and unto David were first were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon, Amnon, and Ahinoam of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and his second, Kiliab, of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, that's another story, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, he loved Absalom, born all of his sons, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the one who tried to steal the throne from Solomon, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, Shaphatiah, the son of Abitael, and the sixth, Ithram, 
by Agla, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. That's just in Hebron. You think maybe Solomon looked back to his father and said, well, he had all these wives. I can have all the wives I want. You think maybe he was affected? I'm trying to look at everything that's there. Now look at 1 Corinthians 5. And you'll see what's going on here. And then you can read 1 Corinthians 16 for yourself. This is where the demons, those that are... They just change the story like they do all fairy tales. Here it is, 1 Kings, the fifth chapter. And this is where, in all probability, they get that the demons from Tyre, which is Sidon, which is right above, and Tyre and Sidon are mentioned like one town because the fire and the tree worship were going breakneck speed in both places. If you were in Tyre, you were celebrating the first same thing as as, uh, Sidon. Now look here in 1 Kings, 5th chapter, verse 1. And Hiram, king of Tyre, this is the first time he's mentioned, the king of Tyre sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. David evidently was trying to get along with the world, so and they were all submitting to David because he had this great conquering army. But he may not David wasn't given in to his gods, but maybe his son did. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side. David is forbidden in Second Samuel 7 and 5 from building the temple because he was a man of blood. And also in First Chronicles 22 and 8. Until the Lord put them souls under his feet. Then you have Hiram mentioned. Down here in verse 6, if you notice, Sidon is mentioned in the same text as Tyre because he says the last phrase of chapter 6 there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like the Sidonians so Sidon and Tyre are basically the same and that's not the only time they're basically the same then you've got Hiram in the next verse came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said blessed be the Lord this day which hath given David a wise son over his great people in verse 8 and Hiram sent to Solomon verse 10 and Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all that he desired verse 11 the last phrase thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year 20,000 measures of wheat and so forth they were changing monies. And then when you get over here, you got Hiram in the 18th verse. you got Hiram in the 12th verse of this chapter. And you got Hiram in other places here. But when you're going over here to the 7th chapter, verse 8, And his house where he dwelt had another court within the porch, which was like work, 
Solomon made also an house for Pharaoh's daughter, which he married. But it doesn't tell you he married her here. It tells you in that 11th chapter of 1 Kings that he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Were they confused and mixed up? I guess. David had committed adultery and murder. And David was a man after God's own heart. And he repented. If you think these guys were all perfect, they wouldn't. He made a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife like unto this porch. And then, look over here in chapter. And it's just amazing that Solomon starts a prayer in verse 22 of, of chapter 8. And he goes through a whole chapter talking about the blessings of God, how he'll bless them if they behave themselves. And he goes off the wall, and they finish the temple in chapter 9. And then if you look at chapter 11, then Solomon goes berserk. But Solomon was beloved of God. Was it God's will that God built, that Solomon built the temple? Absolutely. Was it God's will before the foundation of the world? Yes. Well, was it God's will? Was it God's will that Solomon built the temple? And if it wasn't, it was from from the beginning that he built the temple. But Solomon was Bathsheba's son. So if David hadn't had an affair with Bathsheba and gotten her pregnant and then that baby died there in the 12th chapter of Second Samuel and then later on she has Solomon. If David hadn't committed adultery and murder you talk about the sovereignty of God then this all wouldn't have taken place. Figure that out. <laughs> Nothing would have happened the way it was supposed to happen if God hadn't have been in charge. And then if you go over to the 16th chapter, well, let me read a little bit out of the 11th chapter. And King Solomon loved many strange women. Nokri, N-O-K-R-I-Y. Foreign, adulterous, alien. N-O-K-R-I-Y. I love seeing these puzzle things that come together. N-O-K-R-I-Y. That's the strange woman you love. And the Bible says in in uh, in Nehemiah the thirteenth chapter that these strange women pull Solomon's heart away from God. And God told them not to marry the strange women. That meant they women that served Baal in the grove. And King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh and women of Moab, where they worshipped Shemash, the sun god, and Ammonites, where they worshipped Molech, the sun god, and Edomites, which were the descendants of Esau, just south of Israel, and Zidonians, where we worshipped Baal in the grove, and Hittites, and many other gods. And of the nations of concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them. What was Solomon? What was he thinking? Duh. Neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will t- 
turn away your heart after their God, Sodom, and clave unto them in, I don't even think it was in agape or phileo. I think it was in eros. They were erotic. That's a word that's not in the Bible, but it's another word for love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, secondary wives, and his wives turned his heart away from God. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. I don't know how. I'd like to ask him when I get to heaven because I believe he'll be there. He'll probably say, well, why did your heart turn away? Uh, You're right. I feel guilty about that. With the Lord his God and was the heart of David his father. And Solomon went after Ashtoreth. That's a generic term for all the female tree deities. If it's spelled with an O, it's plural. With an E, it's singular. The goddess of the Zidonians and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Milcom was just a variation term for Molech or Moloch or Milcom. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. How? He... He was so humble when he said, Lord, I'm too young to rule this size so great a people. God says, he said, give me wisdom so I can do this. He lost his wisdom here, didn't he? Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of this, and then did Solomon build a high place for Shemosh, an abomination of Moab and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech and the abomination of the children of Ammon. These are all demons or genies. That's how that Solomon went in with how the genies helped him build the temple. You can go back and read the fifth chapter of First Kings and you can see that. And likewise did he for his strange wives burn incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And he says down here in verse 11, Thou hast not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I commanded thee. I will surely rend the kingdom from thee. And give it to your servant. God splits the kingdom right there. But he said it won't be through Solomon's day. It will be through his son Rehoboam. Solomon. This was the united kingdom under one one nation. And after Solomon under Rehoboam it split. That's another story. I don't want to go into that right now. Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Did took some bad advice from his teenage buddies. Uh, the old men come and said, said, Rehoboam, your father chastised us with whips. Be easy on us. Whips meant with stripes. With he was, They were talking about taxes. And he said, my father chastised you with whips. I'll chastise you with scorpions. That was a whip. That was a figurative term. I'll tax you to death for this temple I'm doing. And so, God splits the kingdom right here. And Rehoboam decides to go attack. He, he, he tells the old man, I'm not going to be easy on you. I'm going to be hard on you. Well, Jeroboam takes... Twelve of the tribes north. Jeroboam is a commander down here in southern Judah. And so he takes these tribes north. They split off. And Rehoboam starts to go attack Jeroboam. 
and an, and a and a prophet comes to Rehoboam and says, "Don't do this. This is of God." So he doesn't attack, and they stay two nations, and the lineage of David of the tribe of Judah comes through Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa. These are all father, son, father, son, father, son, and so forth, all the way down, except for Athaliah, and she's a witch. She was an evil, wicked woman. If anybody deserves to go to hell, it's her. Now, then go over here and look at... I'm kind of just pointing this out. I can't go into all this in detail too much. You go to the 16th chapter of... It, this fifth chapter of First Kings and the eleventh chapter of First Kings, where Solomon marries all these women and goes after all of these demons and genies that helped him build the temple. Except they really did help him build the temple, but they weren't genies and demons; they were real people. And here in the the sixteenth chapter of First Kings. Down in verse 29, In the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, begat, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. Israel, since they split, when it talks about Israel, it's talking about the ten northern tribes. When Asa, it says, When Asa, in the thirty eighth year of Asa, king of Judah. Here's Asa, king of Judah. That's when Ahab starts to reign in northern Israel. And this is where the demons come from. I'm going to read through all of this when I have time. Then he says here, let's read a little bit about Ahab. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. The son of Nebat. What a name, Nebat. Don't name your kid that. They'll make fun of him in school. As it became a light thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. What was Jeroboam's sin? When Rehoboam attacks, going to go attack Jeroboam, and he doesn't attack, Jeroboam says, I've got to do something to keep these people from going back and to join, joining Rehoboam in the kingdom of Israel. So he built a golden calf and he told the people in northern Israel, Behold, the gods that brought you out of Egypt. He didn't even say the golden calf was a god. He just reduced Jehovah God to a golden calf. And so the golden calf from then on was more or less a title deed to northern Israel. That's why when you get down to Jehu and he's going to go kill the 70 sons of Ahab and kill Athaliah, that witch, and he's going to go kill Jezebel, who is married to Ahab, does that in Second Kings. And when Jehu... He does a great thing. He removes all the Baalid Grove gods in Israel. Except didn't remove one thing. He didn't remove Jeroboam's golden calf. I was so disappointed when I found that. But you know why he didn't? That was the title to northern Israel. If you dissolve the golden calf, then northern Israel goes join southern Judah. And you're going to have to have them split till the end of time. 
because we find that in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, well, they'll be brought together at the end of time. There'll be one nation at the end. They're one now. If that's of any encouragement to you. Now, so, Ahab does evil in the sight of God. And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing, verse 31, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Samaria is northern Israel. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now that's I, what I want you to see. Let me go back to reading some of this paper. Okay. Now, King Solomon gained power over the demons and forced them to build the temple in Jerusalem. Dates back to somewhere between the 1st and the 5th centuries of the Christian era. That's not true. Not the 1st and 5th century of CE. That's Christian era. Common era is what we call it. It is of Greek, probably Christian origin. And I blotted out Christian, I put Catholic origin. In addition to translation in the Old Testament legends, Dr. James also wrote a couple of commentaries on the Testament of Solomon. I need to check that out in the Apocrypha. Available here and here. He also made use of the myth in, of the myth in Canon Alberic's scrapbook from Ghost Stories of Antiquity. That's where King Solomon first gained power over the demons. Well, I thought he had power over the jinn. The blue jinn. They, they, uh, Burl Ives kept talking about the blue jinn through the, the glass bottle, brass bottle. It's funny. You can see, y'all can see the convolution, can't you? It's just a, it's a mess up. After the first workman wouldn't tell Solomon what was wrong, he finally confessed every night something would come and suck the blood out of the workman's right thumb. That's a bunch of baloney. Solomon was given a ring, and the ring had a pentagram on it. Solomon confronted the demon and forced the demon not only to give up his name, Arneas, they even have names for him, but also to explain to the king how exactly the king could keep power over him. Once Arneas did did this Solomon sealed him with the seal of the ring and forced the demon to carve out stone blocks for building the temple. Can you see the convolution of Hiram here? And they were worshiping Bell in the grove there. And that's the same thing that Ahab, that's the same thing as Solomon married these wives into the same thing that Ahab brought into the, brought into Israel. Now, it's talking about the, the story of Solomon's accomplishment spread far. One day Solomon got a letter from Adaris, king of Arabia. They spell Solomon, S-U-L-E-I-M-O-N in Arabia, 
or M-A-N, in Arabia, Suleiman. That's the way Burl Ives kept pronouncing it in the movie, Suleiman. And the blue jinn. A jinn, remember, is a group of genies. The wind killed everyone on whom it blew, and the cattle also. Adares begged Solomon to send someone to capture the spirit, like it's an evil spirit doing that. Now, let me see here. I can't read all this. Is I just want to read some high points to you. Uh, the Demon of the Red Sea. This is from F.C. Coney Bear's 1898 translation of the Testament of Solomon. I'm going to have to look at the Testament of Solomon because it's got something about the demons there. There's no such thing as demons or genies. If there's one, there's the other. The most evil thing in the world is man's heart. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'll quote that till the day I die. In the Testament of Solomon, the demon was named Abezi Thibod, a fallen archangel. Don't believe that. The fallen angels are in hell there in Second Peter, the second chapter. Remember that? Then he talks about the image of the demon is above the Milky Way. I've got to read some. This other paper is talking about King Solomon's construction of the Temple of Jerusalem. Suggested dates for its composition range between the end of the first century CE, the Christian era, and the high medieval period. I, I don't know where they get that. Also, don't, read, don't believe everything you read, okay? Evaluate it with Scripture. It was about 900 years before, let me see now. It was, I've got it here. In, I was in First Chronicles. I'll come back and get to that later. So stuff are going through my mind fast. King Solomon's construction of the Jerusalem, temple in Jerusalem suggested dates for its composition. Also disputed is whether it had Christian or Jewish origin. It didn't have Christian origin. It was Jews that were ruling back then. The text was originally written in Greek and contains, talking about the New Testament, theological, no, this is another testament, magical themes ranging from Christianity and Judaism to Greek mythology. When a demon named Arnaeus harasses a young man who is favored by Solomon, I keep saying, I want you to get the gist of this convolution going like that. Sucking his vitality through his thumb on his right hand, Solomon prays in the temple, receives from the archangel Michael a ring with the seal of God in the shape of a pentagram. No. That's what tales will get you into. A pentagram. Like so. This is supposed to be the beard of Satan. This is his horns. And this is his cheeks, I guess. But it's supposed to be a picture of Satan. Remember Goat? Goat Sire was also, every time they translated Goat in the Old Testament, they translated Sire. And when they translated over into the Septuagint, they translated Goat Demon, Demonion. Every time they translated it. And Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. At the end of time, isn't he? All right, let me get over here. I've got a couple things in this. 
I want to read to you. He commanded the demon. Solomon lends the ring to a lad who by throwing the ring at the demon Arnius stamps him with the seal and brings him under control. Then Solomon orders the demon Arnius to take the ring and similarly imprint the imprint the prince of demons Beelzebul, a form of Beelzebub. I got to read something out of this other paper. I got something written down here. This is amazing. I'll show you something that they put in here, and it kind of aligns with Scripture, except they say that they say something that's just. It's not true about what Solomon, a command that he gives. I'll show you this in a minute. Um, You realize how hard this is to organize this and get this thing straightened out. All right. The original genie, or gin, was, of course, being a different color. Remember I said he was talking about... Solomon, Suleiman, and the blue gin was a different color stemming from the hazy past of ancient Arabian paganism. Muslim tradition. When you think of Arabian, you're always thinking of genies and flying carpets. I'm looking for the flying carpet somewhere in this thing and see what it represents. Muslim tradition enriched the gin's profile by adding it to features derived from the demons. They enter, they interconnect demons and genies in, in the, uh, in the Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. You look at fairies, I've got an article on fairies, it's about 12 pages out of Hastings, and they've got demons and genies and jinn all interconnected in the same article. There's no demons. That's just some Pentecostal thing. And it didn't start with the Pentecostals. It started way back a long time ago. The original genie or gen was, of course, being of different color, stemming from the hazy past of ancient Arabian paganism. Muslim tradition enriched the jinn's profile by adding to it features derived from demons who inhabited Jewish and Christian lore. Now, lore means knowledge from some story as well as the more exotic South Asian and African civilizations in which Islam subsequently penetrated the Quran Islam's sacred scripture mentions the jinn on several occasions some passages listen to this will evoke familiar associations for readers versed in Talmudic Legend. The Talmud comes out of Halakha. The Halakha. So the Talmud comes out of Halakha. Halakha eventually involved into the Midrash about the time of Christ and then to the Talmud about 200 AD. So this is convoluting the Pharisees' Halakha with demons. Solomon's I mean, for example, the Quran relates that King Suleiman, here's the way they spelled it. I read this off the internet. Suleiman, S-U-L-A-I, S-U-L-A-I, L-A-I-M-O-N, 
Sule or M A N, excuse me. M A N, and that's the way Burl Ives pronounced it in this movie. And then it has in parentheses Solomon. Master of the languages of the creatures allowed him to regiment the host of humans, birds, gins under his command. I'm running out of time. I've tried to cover too much. I've got some more things to say on this. In First Kings, he spoke of the beast, the fowl, and the creeping things and fishes that Solomon was controlling. And they added the jinn or the demons to that when they rewrote these fairy tales. The Quran also records stories about how Solomon harnessed the power of demons or jinns for his ambitious and demanding construction projects. Several of the themes in this story can be traced to Talmudic writing. That's the Pharisees when they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. But they were in Babylon exposed to Arabic languages and culture and customs. And I'm sure they brought it back to Israel when they came back. When he was impersonated by the demon King Ashmedai and removed from the throne in this early prototype of the prince and pauper motif, the real king was forced to wander the world as a beggar that's something that's born out of scripture when jesus said what if this when when uh, he was asked who is this peter asked who is this that you're talking to and jesus said what is that to thee if he stays till the till the end of the world well the old fairy tale comes out of that phrase that there's a that there's a prophet walking throughout the entire world that Jesus said would be here till the world comes. And they made a they made a fairy tale out of that. Do y'all realize how much fairyland we're living in? We're living in a in a nice easy Jesus. And it's got fairies and they want you to have all that you want. And every one of them, what are they doing? Fairies distribute fortunes. They always got a gold pot at the end of a rainbow, don't they? And that's a leprechaun that does that, and that is a fairy. They had good berries, good fairies and bad fairies. You ever heard of the brownies? A brownie was an evil, wicked fairy, and it did nothing but do evil to you. Well, that's just a bad person. That's what it is. And the amazing thing is Solomon had... <laughs> Solomon Ashbedai resurfaces along the legends of a thousand and one nights. All of us are familiar with the propensity of genies to get stuck inside lamps and jars. But we've talked about that, hadn't we? In the least one instance, the genie claims to have been placed there by none other than King Solomon, who was sent to minister to seize me, and his visor had me bound and brought me against my will to stand before the prophet Solomon as a suppliant when the jinn or the genie, or the demon, refused to proclaim his faith in God, Solomon had him imprisoned in a jar. Where was the vampire put? In a bottle. What is a familiar spirit? Bottle. And they learned ventriloquism, pretend to talk to the dead in those bottles. 
which was sealed with lead and stamped with a royal ring, inscribed with God's name, and listen to this, and he was cast into the ocean. And every time Babylon goes down, she's cast into the sea. In Jeremiah 51, Revelation 18, Revelation 8, a burning mountain was going into the sea. And God says, I'm going to make her a burnt mountain. And then they wrote all of this fairy tale, demon tales about it. It's insane. I've got something I'm going to wait till next week to give you because I'll give you. It's what Solomon commanded Beniah to go and put a demon in check. But it wasn't a demon. Beniah was Solomon's head of his army. When Joab ceased to be the head of David's army, Beniah steps in. Solomon and Beniah is one of the most super fighters in Israel. And he tells Benaiah, go lay hold on this demon. Solomon told Benaiah to go lay hold on Joab, the murderer. If there was a demon in Israel, it was Joab, David's nephew. I'm going to go through Joab next time. I've run out of time. I, I can't teach all this all at once. It's too much. If I could stand here about five hours I could give it all to you not all of it I'll give you what I've got up here Has, I hope I haven't confused any of you have you seen the the convolution in it all it's just like a mishmash you don't have a lie without having an element of the truth can you see that you can't lie to somebody and say Cinderella died for your sins. Well, she's a demon. How could she die for you? She was a. I'm going to read out of this book, tell you who Cinderella was, and tell you what the midnight was, what the horses were. That took her to the ball. They they tell you what all of it meant, but it had a different meaning from an ancient society in another world. We're living the preacher's messages in America. It's a fairy tale. It's fun. It's easy. God loves everybody, and it's wonderful to go to heaven, isn't it? And we got no problem. I just got saved here a, a year ago. Had had a guy tell me one night, about eight or ten years ago. This was a distant relative of Mary's. He said, well, I walked down the aisle and I got saved the other night. Now I've got my big house on the lake and I got my company and I don't want anybody anything. I got my cars and I got saved. Now, ain't that great? Boy, everything's great. I don't have to pray anymore. He said that to me. I don't have to pray anymore. That's a fairy tale, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. Sometimes it is so difficult to put it out and say it all, Lord. I, I... I feel so inadequate and insecure to be able to say your truth the way you've got it laid out. There's so much we don't see, Lord. I pray that you'll open up your book to us. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen the people in the church. Let them see we're not in fairyland, that this is a long, hard 
narrow way with a lot of tribulation and trial. And we're supposed to feel bad about it. We're supposed to be depressed and sorrowful and acquainted with grief. Thank you for truth. We'll praise you for everything. In Christ's name we pray, man. I wish I could say this to you. I don't feel like I've done it justice. It is. It's just a unbelievable. Uh, that's amazing that I'm really looking at those different places in First Kings where Solomon employed Hiram and then Solomon married all those women who were demon worshippers and then Ahab brought it into Israel from Tyre and Sidon and it all had its same source yeah well that was part of his it, they all served the demons all of them and and the demons did help Solomon build the temple in one sense they were all sun and tree worshippers Hiram's people were even though he liked there had to be some compromising on David's part <laughs>